How to Face Your Fears is the title of this message this morning. I know, as I said last week, we are living in uncharted times. In my 69 years, I've, I've never seen anything like this before. We find as we follow Christ that we don't really know that we have faith till it's tested. And I do believe, my friends and people that I love, that uh, this is a huge test for us. Individually, in our own lives and with our families, and even, even uh, in our world as we live. And we reflect the love of Christ in dark places, which there are a lot of them out there. And I know that a lot of people have been restricted. Our text this morning comes from Luke 4, 16 through 20. The heading of this in most Bibles said that Jesus is rejected at Nazareth. And I pray, beloved people, that as you listen, as you watch this morning, that you do not reject God's holy word as you hear it today. If any other time in history in our lives we need to embrace the word, we need to believe it, we need to live by it, because it, it gives us hope and real security and peace and purpose in life. When he came to the village of Nathers, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll containing the messages of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll to the place where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And everyone in the synagogue stared at him intently. Then he said, The scripture has come true today before your very eyes. He says the captives will walk, well, they'll be released to be set free from whatever enslaves them, and uh, namely that's sin. But what is more enslaving than this four-letter word, fear? Don Wurtzen writes, the elusive monster of fear lurks in the shadows, waiting to claw my soul to shreds. As one prone to melan melancholia, I see its ugly face often. When I'm struggling with the emotional stress of a difficult relationship, when I'm afraid failure is just around the corner, when success seems too hard to handle, and on days when free-floating anxiety is getting the best of me. I think that last one captures it for me, free-floating anxiety. That's the worst one, the forbidding fear that something is wrong. And in our media today, every day, almost hourly, it tells us that something is terribly wrong in our world. COVID-19 has spread around the world. It's taking people's lives. It's not something that we can rationalize away, but we have to face it head on. As David Jeremiah tells us, if you have struggled with fear, you're not alone. Fear is no respecter of people or of ages. It strikes the weak. It strikes the powerful. It haunts the young and the old, the rich and the poor, and even those that seem to have it all together. We include celebrities and heroes and fearless leaders confess to a wide range of phobias. Jennifer Aniston, Cher, Whoopi Goldberg are all aviophobes. They're afraid of flying. Barbara Streisand is xenophobic. She is uncomfortable around strangers. Michael Jackson was haunted by the fear of con con contamination, infections, and diseases. He was misophobic. 
Can you imagine if he was alive today? And can you imagine people that suffer by the, from this phobia? But the celebrity with the most phobias is Woody Allen. He's afraid of insecurity. Insects, sunshine, dogs, deer, bright colors, children, heights, small rooms, crowds, and cancer. And people from the past were no different. Our first president, George Washington, was scared to death of being buried alive. Richard Nixon was terrified of hospitals. And I think we could add Democrats as well. And Napoleon Bonaparte, the military and political genius, feared cats. Can you imagine... Josephine hiding around the castle or mansion wherever he lived and never five minutes would go, meow. You imagine that, you know, if he's, I don't, it's, it's a crazy thing. My dad was afraid of birds, baby birds. I, I don't know what caused that or why, you know. But Nixon was not alone, I'm sure. For some hospitals, though very needed, are not fun places. They're a conglomeration of needles Tubes, monitors, pills, thermometers, call buttons, and bedpans, not to mention the total absence of modesty and privacy. If you've been in the hospital, that word privacy and modesty is pretty much out the window. If you've ever had a hospital gown on, you'd understand. Here's a poem that explains. I was sitting here minding my business, kind of letting my mind go slack. When in comes a nurse with a bright sunny smile and a gown with a split in the back. Take a shower, she said, and get ready, and then jump into this sack. What she was really talking about was the gown with the split in the back. They're coming to do some tests, she said. They're going to stretch me out on a rack with nothing twixt me and the cold, cruel world but a gown, the split in the back. It comes only to the knees in front, and in the sides there is no lack. But by the far, the greatest shortcoming is that blooming split down the back. Whoever designed this garment for humor had a great knack, but I failed to see anything funny about a gown with a split in the back. I hear them coming to get me, the wheels going clickety-clack. I'll ride through the halls on a table in a gown with a split in the back. When I get to heaven, I'll make me no odds. If my robe is white, red, or black, the only thing I ask is please. Give me one with no split down the back. I don't remember how long ago, but I was in the hospital for doing what my wife told me about not eating salt. I think maybe that was it, Diane. I don't know. But anyhow, I had a gown on like that, and Diana had bought me these really cool tiger-striped underwear. So I get up to go to the bathroom, and my daughter and wife take a picture of that. And we have it. If you want to see it, I didn't... I didn't want to frighten people this morning and put it on the big screen, but nonetheless, we have that picture if you, Weibel's seen it, and it's scarred him for life. But anyhow, here's the thing that I, I think a lot of times we don't, we don't want to admit. We, we all have phobias, if we're honest. Here's a phobia. Here's what a phobia is. is a circus parade of mental enslavement. Our fear of failure, loneliness, rejection, impending disaster, or contracting a major illness never seems to go away. They are lifetime fears that simmer on the mind's back burner. And they are fears that prey on life itself. And here's the wild thing I see about that. Many fears and phobias are imagined. It's like these two crows in Charlotte's Web. Let's watch this clip.
How can he be? Be the same guy. It can't be. He's wearing the same hat. I'm telling you, he is following us. I hate that guy. <laughs> I have got to get some guard, Owen. All right, all right, all right. This is crazy. There's two of us, right? Yeah. Oh. Trust me, there's two of us. And there's only one of him. I, I don't know, man. He scares me. He really does. Just think about that corn. Yeah. Corn. The corn. Corn. All right, let's, let's do it. it. Let's do it. Ah. Go! Man, he is good. I bet he's laughing at us. Don't look at him. Don't even give him the satisfaction. Just think about something else. <laughs> These fears that we have and phobias, whether real or imagined, can be described with what linguists call a semantic range of words. Fear, worry, anxiety, intimidation, unsettledness, dread, unease, alarm, distress, apprehensiveness, and others like paranoia. And whatever term we use, these feelings can trigger all kinds of toxic responses. Immobilization, paralysis, withdrawal, passivity, depression, psychosomatic disorders, physical maladies with no discernible physical cause. So when I ask you what you are afraid of, I'm asking what is it that immobilizes you? What is it that steals your joy and destroys your hope and is robbing you from sleep night after night? What keeps you from living by faith and being a risk taker? What keeps you from giving all that you are wholly to a loving God who wants nothing but the best for you? Everybody is afraid of something, including me. When I was a child, I was afraid of the dark. I wasn't just afraid of the dark. I was, I was petrified. It paralyzed me. Uh, after mom passed and we moved to a two-story house, I had to sleep upstairs by myself. And it, I can't explain to you, <laughs> maybe some of you understand that, what it was like to go to bed at night. I slept with a hall light on. I never slept in the dark, ever. Uh, I didn't st start sleeping without a light till... Diane came in my life to protect me. I'm joking there, but it was pretty close. Every five minutes, for assurance, I would holler, Good night, Dad. He'd say, Good night, Eddie. I, I admire from the fact that he never shut me off. I'd say I'd do that 10 to 15 times. And then finally, he'd drift off to sleep. But it was the fact of hearing my father's voice. Up until a few months before that, we lived in an apartment together, and my dad slept with me. Can you imagine the security? I, 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 I formed that bond or that mental picture of when I cry out to God now, my Heavenly Father, He answers me and I feel His presence. But when I slept with my dad, there wasn't a boogeyman in the world that could whip my dad. It was just that assurance. You know, sometimes he'd roll over and put his hand on you, and you just felt it. I think a lot of times we're like that today in this, what we're facing together. That as we cry out to God, it's, it's, it's like he put his, puts his hand on me. Is this going to be all right? It's going to be all right. I remember many nights I would take a blanket and a pillow and go down to the bottom of those steps and sleep on the steps or 
when my dad's stepmom would go to sleep, I'd sneak in and sleep in front of the stove. It was a fact of being close to my dad. You get older, your fears change. I don't believe we outgrow them. That's the problem with being human. I guess I really, I thought about this, and if I had to lift some, list some of my own, I, I want to be transparent with, with you guys. That's the point. You know, my biggest fears are today that I become detrimental to Crossroads. I fear that my health will continue to deteriorate and I'll lose my zest and my zeal and my passion for life. I fear for my wife if something would happen to me that she'd be taken care of. And I fear from all of you, for you, all of you, that somebody in this congregation will contract COVID-19. But here's the question. How do I fight these fears? I say over and over again, help me, Jesus, a hundred times a day probably. Through God's word, it comforts me, gives me hope, and through prayer, and support from other believers as well. I do believe that we need to be and stay connected, whether you're calling somebody, whether you're texting, whatever. But here's our challenge, uh, people whom I love, is to discover and analyze our fears and find a godly biblical response to them. Find a verse that fits you, that touches your heart, a passage, whatever, and memorize it and know it and go to it often to draw that comfort from that. When the Apostle Paul was giving counsel to Timothy, his young protege, he knew Timothy was afraid of something. And probably it was his assignment. that He was coming from this small place in Asia Minor and he was going into Ephesus to pastor this big church. It was a huge church and they were having problems. There were some good elders there, but the fact is false teaching had come in and Timothy was being thrust into that situation. And what young pastor wouldn't have felt fear at that prospect? So what did Paul tell Timothy? 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. What a verse that applies to us today. Paul knew that when we get God's perspective on the source of our fear, we can set aside what is not from him and embrace what is. In all my years of following Christ and studying the Bible and pastoring, I've yet to find a fear which God does not have an answer for. And the reason is this. God himself is the answer to all fears. It doesn't matter what it is. Think about it. Our fear is almost based on the future. We fear the future. Even sometimes we know what it's going to be. But I think most commonly we're afraid of what we don't know about the future. We're afraid of what might happen. I'll tell you what, if we start playing the what-if game or maybe game, we will drive ourselves completely crazy. What if I get COVID-19? What if somebody close to me that I love gets it? What if somebody breaks into my house and steals all my toilet paper? You know, you can just, you can go on and on and on and just you drive yourself mad. We can't go down that road. We've got to say what is, what is, what God tells us. 
What's the future to God? To him, the future is now. We live outside of time while God, who made it, or we live inside time. He lives outside of time. We know relatively little about the future while God knows everything about it. All events in our life occur in two time frames, past and future. The present is fleeting. It becomes the past before we can even grab it or define it. God, on the other hand, has only one frame of reference, the eternal now, in which he sees and knows everything, including the future. So I say to you this morning, that is why God is the answer to all our fears. If God is good and loving, and he is, and if God is all-powerful, and he is, and if God has a purpose and a plan that includes his children, and he does, and if we are all his children, which I hope you are, then there is no reason to fear anything, for God is in control of everything. That's good theology, and you probably believe it, but you still sometimes have apprehension. In the hollow place, in the pit of your stomach, either sometimes or all the time. The great author Edith Wharton, Wharton once said that she didn't believe in ghosts, but she was afraid of them. It's one thing to know something with the mind and another to believe it with the heart. How does one teach a child or show a child not to be afraid of the dark? You appeal to the mind. You go in your room, you turn on the light, you look under the bed, you look in the closet and show her that there's nothing in that room for her to be afraid of. Then you help her attune her heart to what her mind has accepted. This is a process of faith for all of us. We accept that God is in control, and on that basis, we shift our burdens to his perfect shoulders. But what about our shaky future? It changes all the time. We hear different things every day. Pessimism doesn't work because it's another form of mental enslavement. Optimism may have no basis in reality. The only way to walk boldly and confidently into the unknown is to stake everything on the power and the goodness and the faithfulness of God. That regardless of what happens to me, I am God's child. He loves me. He wants what's best for me. And any way that it goes, he's never going to leave me, and he's always going to be there with me to understand why God is the answer to all our fears. We've got to understand what, what the Bible says about fear, and it says a lot. It tells us more than 300 times not to fear. Fear not is the most frequently repeated command. The word afraid occurs more than 200 times and fear more than 400. And the less, least you think our Bible heroes are fearless, more than 200 individuals in the scripture are said to have been afraid. And these aren't the bad guys, all of them. Many were the main characters, David and Paul and Timothy and others. Because you see, biblical heroes were regularly regular people who had to learn the same things you and I have to learn. To drive out our fear by increasing our knowledge of God and shift our focus from the present fear to the eternal God and to replace what they didn't know about the future with what they did know about God. They had to put away childish things, being afraid of everything, and grow up in their faith and understanding. I see fear as a real and present danger in our world today. It's even among 
followers of Christ. Fear can cause strict consequences in our lives if it's not dealt with or removed. We have to fight those demons of fear. I don't know how many Bruce Lee fans there are, but in this movie about Bruce Lee's life, about the dragon, he, he is confronted by his master and given this great advice on how to deal with the demon of fear. Let's watch. comes it goes in your dreams no i'm always awake it's not a dream sifu when your father first brought you here he told me everything he wanted you to learn one swan to protect yourself against the man and other forces i thought that was all superstition superstition is a name they ignored to give to their ignorance you're special now and you're special now that's why the demon wants you We have spent a lot of time together preparing you for this. Good. Good. Very, very good. What if I won't fight him? You have no choice. You're fighting for more than yourself. What do you say, Monsieur? As I told you, this demon is your inner fear. It doesn't matter how many men you defeat. If you don't conquer your own fears, you will pass your demons onto your children as your father passed his onto you. No. You will fight him. The Holy Spirit gives us that power to fight. We are to fight the fear within us in the power of Christ. And as he told him, if not, he will pass that on. If we are full of fear, especially as fathers and grandfathers, if we're full of fear, it's going to pass on to our wives and our grandkids and our children. We are the ones that have to stand in the gap, so to speak. Or we'll pass it on and even we'll pass it on to those that we come in contact with. Fear is a virus. It's exactly like COVID-19 and how it spreads or whatever from person to person. Neil T. Anderson writes, Fear is a thief. It erodes our faith, plunders our hope, steals our freedom, and takes away our joy of living the abundant life in Christ. Phobias are like the coils of a snake. The more we give in to them, the tighter they squeeze. Tired of fighting, we succumb to the temptation and surrender to our fears. But what seemed like an easy way out becomes in reality a prison of unbelief. A fortress of fear that holds us captive. Jesus, Luke 4, 18, has come, he says, to pardon the prisoners and set the captive free. And that really explains, includes those who are held captive by fear. And I pray this morning, beloved, that you choose freedom. That we fight this in the power of Christ and with each other. Not, Psalm 91 brings us security and comfort as it did Stacy and Steve after uh, his accident. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare of the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I am trusting him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from the fatal plague. He will shield you with his wings. He will shelter you with his feathers. 
His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor fear the dangers of the day, nor dread the plague that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. You need Christ this morning. Reach out to him. I can't, I don't know where your faith is today. If you're watching this and you've never accepted Christ, here's how. This is one of many prayers. Actually, it comes out of a heart that is searching for God. And the words can be rearranged in any way, but... You're admitting who you are, that you're a sinner and you need forgiveness for your sins. And you believe that Christ rose from the dead. Romans says, for whosoever shall believe in the Lord, Christ will come to us and be real in our lives. So, you know, like I said, if you need Christ this morning, you've never accepted him. Here's where you start. You know, and I, I pray that you give him your, your fears that uh, you will will allow him to replace that fear with peace and hope and security. We realize that Jesus is our only hope in all situations in life. And it seems like that the things that's happened in the world has just brought us, grabbed us by the collar and pulled us up close and looked us in the face. So this is where we're at this morning. Our hope is Christ always. Our hope for security Our hope for the fears that encapsulate us and surround us is Christ. And and I I pray you're holding strong this morning. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the hope that you place within us. I thank you for Crossroads. And I thank you for everybody that has heard this or listened this morning. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just go to them now and just reassure them how much that you love them and how much... You want to come into our lives and give us power and peace and purpose and security in these trying times. Father, if no one uh, has known you before and they came to you this morning, I just want you to really uh, let them feel your presence in a mighty way, as with all of us. We love you, God. We give you praise and glory. Thank you for this part of our world, at least we can communicate when we are in somewhat a quarantined situation. We ask all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.